You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. It's here. Viagra for women. That was the headline in the New York Times last week. Viagra for women backed by an FDA panel. A lot of people scan headlines, see a headline, don't read the story. And if you read the story about Viagra for women, finally the men have had Cialis and the men have had Viagra for a long time, more than a decade, and poor women have had nothing, no pill that they can take that Make some horny or make some want to fuck. And finally, it's here, Viagra for Women. But if you read the piece, if you read the whole story, it's a lot more complicated than that and a lot more worrisome than that. Because this new drug, which is called something unpronounceable, uh, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce it, Flybanserin, Flybanserin, Flibanserin, I'm not sure which syllable to put the emphasis on, but We'll call it flybanserin here uh, on the podcast. Um, it's a daily drug that women can now take. The FDA has approved it. It's going to be rolled out uh, that treats what's called uh, hypoactive sexual desire, which is women with low to no sexual desire where there are not other problems. There's not an underlying medical issue that's been diagnosed. They're not angry at their partners, women who just don't want to fuck and feel bad about it and would like to fuck. This pill is supposedly, it's been developed and designed to make them want to fuck, to make them horny. Now, this is different than what Viagra does because what Viagra does is it takes a horny guy who wants to fuck and can't get a boner and it helps him get a boner. It treats that condition, that inability to, to get and keep an erection. That's what Viagra does. Viagra doesn't take a not horny guy and make him horny. It takes a horny guy and makes him operable, right? What this drug does is it takes, theoretically, a non-horny woman and makes her horny, makes her want to fuck. This drug, this same drug, was rejected twice before and once rejected unanimously by the same FDA panel, but it has now been approved after a campaign waged by an organization called Even the Score that presented the approval of this drug as kind of a gender equity issue because guys had a pill, women deserve their own pill. Even if the pill we're talking about for women doesn't really fucking do much. Quoting the New York Times, the women who took part were having an average of two to three of what they defined as sexually satisfying events per month when the studies began. Once they started taking the drug, the number of such events increased, but only by about one event per month, more than women in the trial who got a placebo. Continuing, women getting flybanserin also reported on monthly questionnaires that they felt more desire, although the difference compared with the placebo was only 0.3 points on a scale ranging from 1.2 to 6.0. So this drug has a very minimal effect. You're talking about taking a daily pill forever that you cannot consume uh, at the same time. You cannot use if you're using birth control pills and you cannot use if you are drinking alcohol. You're talking about taking this pill every day forever so you can maybe feel a tiny bit hornier and maybe have sex one more time a month than you're currently having it. This is not evening the score. Even the score, the group that pushed for the approval, pushed for this reversal, right? It was unapproved, twice rejected, pushed to have that decision reversed, called even the score, was underwritten by Sprout Pharmaceuticals, the developer of flybanserin. 
And now we have this pill and now it's approved and now women are going to go and take it despite the fact that in addition to not really doing much, certainly not doing much more than I don't know, a bong hit or a glass of wine might do has side effects and potentially serious side effects. Those side effects are low blood pressure and fainting. Apparently one woman who was enrolled in clinical trials fainted and got a concussion when she fell. And again, you can't take this pill with birth control pills and you can't take this pill with uh, if you're drinking alcohol, which most sensible people do, right? Including most sensible people who are thinking about or want to have or about to have sex will sometimes knock one back. But not if you're on this drug or the rest of your fucking life that supposedly evens the score. The argument that some people are making is approval of this drug will lead to the development and approval of other drugs. And that's a good thing. And, and that sort of implicitly acknowledges that this drug isn't doing what it's being billed as doing. That, oh yeah, let's approve this shitty drug that really doesn't do much. Because then they'll come out with some drugs that maybe do something. And that to me just seems batshit. Part of the agreement with the FDA uh, that Sprout Pharmaceuticals made to leverage this approval out of the FDA was that they wouldn't advertise the drug on TV or radio for 18 months. It'll be 18 months before we see, ask your doctor if flybanserin, whatever the fuck it's called, is right for you. But it's coming in 18 months. And just like headlines in newspapers can be misleading, like Viagra for Women, it's here, FDA approved. Those advertisements on television for drugs can be misleading. So when those ads begin to roll out, if you are suffering from low sexual desire, as some of you are, we get calls from people suffering from low sexual desire, don't fall for it. Don't be the guinea pig. Don't rush out and try this drug. Try my favorite drug first. Try pot. Get a pot lozenge. Suck on that and see if that doesn't inspire you to suck on something else because this, this is not the answer for low sexual desire, this drug. I am not a doctor and I am not a researcher or a scientist. I am going to invite some doctors and researchers and scientists on the show to talk about this new unmiraculous miracle drug on a future program. But I wanted to get my two cents out there right away because I was already getting emails asking about this drug and from people who were celebrating it. People were really thrilled that finally, oh my God, oh look, Dan, isn't this great news? Emails from people who didn't actually read the whole news report about the drug, but are clearly listening to this show. So I wanted to burst your bubbles as quickly as I could, but we will have more people on who are more informed than I and in a better position to debunk this bullshit. Than I, including the AstroTurf campaign waged by a pharmaceutical company that led to its approval on a future show. But on today's show, we have Ophira Eisenberg from Ask Me Another, the NPR quiz show, here to take some of your sex questions. We have a great time. She's on the micro and the magnum because we we're having such a great time and she was here such a long time, plus tons of your questions after this. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get 50 bucks off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash savage and entering the promo code savage. Today's episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Framebridge. Send them your art, choose a frame, and they will send you your beautifully framed art ready to hang. Use the promo code savage for 20% off your first order. That's framebridge.com. Enter savage. 
This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. 26-year-old straightish woman calling from Chicago. I'm just beginning to discover my kinks, and I'm having a hard time getting my husband to play along. He's content with the same old, same old vanilla sex. A few weeks ago, on the same session, I asked him to throw me around a bit, and he said no. I asked him to go down on me, and he said he didn't feel like it. As a compromise, he got out the vibrator and used it on me, but he was stone-cold silent during it and looked so bored during this whole time. When I told him afterwards that these things upset me, he turned it around on me and told me that I made him feel inadequate, made me feel terrible for asking these things of him. He said that he's come a long way from me by doing things like 69 or using toys. Apparently, he feels that these things are kinky. A few days ago, I told him that I wanted to come home, smoke some weed, watch some porn, and have sex with him, and he completely turned me down. I don't understand, as I feel like this is a man's dream come true. I've mentioned in the past that I want to watch porn with him, but it's yet to happen. I think he's extremely sexually repressed, and I don't know how to get him out of it. How can I tell him I want dirtier things like a master-slave relationship when I can't even get him to pull my hair a little bit? I can't tell you how delighted I was to get through your entire call without hearing you say the tragic word, kids. We have kids. You don't have kids. You are a kid. You're 26 years old. This is why you don't get married in your 20s. This is why you don't get married until you're into the things that you're into, right? You say you're 26 years old and you've married this person who is sexually not as adventurous as you are and you are now set up for five, six decades of frustration and he is set up for five, six decades of feeling inadequate or pestered or bothered or, or being a dick. He's being a dick to you. Like I'm not going to go down on you. I'm not going to toys on you. I, I think he's being a dick, but you married this dick. And now you're going to have to unmarry this dick before kids, please, before kids. You are not sexually compatible. Apologize to each other. He didn't necessarily do anything wrong. He's having the sex with you that he signed up for initially, right? Whoever you were when you guys met isn't who you are rolling out now. And so you guys need to shake hands, get a lawyer. And start over again. And in your future relationships, potentially leading to marriage, you want to throw that wanna-be-in-a-master-slave relationship shit on the table before the wedding, long before the wedding, ages before the wedding. That's not stuff you bust out after the wedding. You do. you got to lay those kink cards down on the table. You're young. You're only 26. Maybe you are just coming into this stuff. Maybe you're just realizing all of this. So you're not at fault. You didn't withhold this information necessarily, but you did get married before you knew yourself, before you knew who you were and what you wanted. That's why you don't get married in your 20s, 26 fucking years old. You just don't do it. Luckily for you, undoing it isn't going to be that much of a trial because there are no kids. I assume. I assume that if there were kids, that would have been mentioned. But there are no kids. I'm not going to call you back because I don't want to find out there are kids because that will break my heart. Get a divorce. Get out there. Have your sexual adventures. Figure out who you are and what you want and go find a guy 
who wants that to or comes close enough or a lot closer than this guy. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audiobooks, my own included, are great to listen to when you're driving, when you're stuck in traffic, or when you're doing chores around the house. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One of those audiobooks you might want to consider is this week's guest, Ophira Eisenberg, wrote a hilarious book, Screw Everyone, Sleeping My Way to Monogamy. It is about her journey through the world of futons and sex on the floor, screwing everyone until she figured out how to construct her, as she says, perfect Frankenmate. The book is hilarious. Ophira is hilarious. And you can listen to her read her own book, Screw Everyone, uh, to try out Audible's service. For that free audiobook again of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. My name is Jake. I'm an 18-year-old straight male. I've been dating my girlfriend for over a year now, and neither of us has had sex or really any sexual experiences to speak of before we started going out. It was awesome that we shared our first time, but the downside to it was that neither of us knew what we were doing. We've learned a lot since then, but one thing I'm still in the dark about is how to make her come. She can make herself come. It takes about 15 minutes, and she's brought herself to the brink and let me finish her off before, but I would really like to figure out how to do it on my own. At first, I was like, all right, we just started. I'll get there eventually, but I've been trying to get her off for months now, and I feel like I'm still at square one. I tried a lot of tongue stuff, a lot of hand stuff to no avail, and I uh, just don't understand why I can't make it happen. I've heard that one way to make it easier would be getting a vibrator, and while I'm sure that she would be open to that idea, I've read that using a vibrator makes any other kind of stimulation seem vanilla by comparison. If you have any suggestions or anything you think could help, I'd be really grateful. You're young, she's young. And it sounds like you're kind of, sort of, doing everything right. You're invested in her pleasure, invested in getting her off. She is capable of having an orgasm she can masturbate uh, one of the things i advise people who are having trouble getting their partner there or are having trouble being brought to that edge or being gotten off by their partners to get themselves close to the edge and then let their partner dive in and take over and you guys are doing all that now you need to relax and keep doing all that and keep doing that she gets herself close and then you join in or take over and just make that point at which you join in or take over come a little sooner. That that place that she gets to where she can relax and allow you to drive will arrive sooner. She'll arrive at that place sooner. The interval between you taking over and her getting off will begin to grow if you stop rushing it, if you just relax and let this play out. And it can take years that you've only been sexually active together for a year and you're not yet there doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong doesn't mean that her junk is broken doesn't mean that you're inadequate in any way she's just still growing into her orgasmic capacity and you are still learning to roll with and appreciate each other's bodies now on the issue of the vibrator get a fucking vibrator go get a vibrator when you read online people stressing about how vibrators make other kinds of stimulation feel vanilla, what you're hearing is people saying, vibrators do things dicks don't do. And they do. They vibrate. And that is something dicks don't do. And that's something a lot of women really need. 
remember, most of her clitoral tissues are buried inside her body. The We call the clit. We say that that's like the whole deal, the clit. There it all is. That's just the exposed head. That's the glands of the clit, analogous to the head of your penis. She has a clitoral shaft as well. She has clitoral erectile chambers that are buried inside her body. And just like sex for you isn't just rubbing the head of your penis, it's also engaging your shaft and your balls and your taint. And that's not just sex. I mean, just penile stimulation for you is all of that in play. For a lot of women, you can't, a lot of women can't get to the entire clitoral apparatus being in play without the aid of a vibrator sending deep buzz into her body through layers of skin and fat and muscle and all the rest of it. And that's not a problem. That's not a a bug. That's a feature. A lot of women's junk is buried deep in the woman. And a vibrator is a tool that allows her to stimulate that junk of hers and allows you to stimulate that junk of hers. And rather than creating a dependency, it can activate all of that. It can create new carve new neural pathways that engage all the parts of her clitoris and it's not going to create a dependency on the vibrator for her unless she's one of those women who depends on a vibrator because it's the literally the only thing that works for her and you're going to tell her not to use this thing that works for her because what because insecurity because there's a better way to have an orgasm or other way to have an orgasm no people discover themselves sexually, they experiment, they learn, they grow, they find the things that work for them. And for a lot of women, the only thing that works for them is the vibrator. And the last thing that those women need is an insecure male or female partner slapping the vibrator out of their hands and telling them that they're doing orgasms wrong. It's a tool, a tool that some people need. And then other people misinterpret that need as a created dependency. It's not a created dependency. It's what they needed all along and what they will need going into the future. Don't be insecure. Incorporate it into your repertoire. And remember, when that tool is in your hand, as I've said before, you are building that house. When she gets off, you made that happen. Even if you used a vibrator, nobody looks at a carpenter who built a house and said, oh, you used a hammer, you didn't build that house. You got her off. She had an orgasm. You had a hammer and you had a hammer in your hand. You had a vibrating hammer in your hand. You built that orgasm for and with her. And you should be proud of that and secure in that and grateful that those vibrators exist out there. Nothing is sexier than self-confidence. A man with a vibrator in his hand who is not cringing, weeping, intimidated, insecure about that vibrator is what? Self-confident. And that's sexy. Get her a vibrator. Keep getting her off the way you are getting her off now with her stimulating herself and then you jumping in and keep enjoying each other, enjoying her pleasure and your capacity to assist her in obtaining that pleasure and keep enjoying that together and letting it grow and evolve and see where you go and stop stressing about whether you're doing it right or wrong because it sounds like you are doing everything right except for the vibrator hang up. That's wrong and you're going to stop that today. Do you have art rolled up in a tube in your closet? Do you have photos you've wanted to frame, but you can't bring yourself to pay those frame store prices? Or are you just too busy to get your art framed during business hours? Well, with FrameBridge, you can have your art and photos up on your wall in days. Placing an order is easy. Do it in five minutes from their site or the FrameBridge iPhone app. 
You can use their preview tools to see what your art will look like in their selection of frame styles. Then all you got to do is drop your art in the mail with their prepaid packaging or upload a photo from your computer phone or Instagram feed. FrameBridge will custom frame and ship your finished framed art ready to hang right to you. If you'd like a consultation, select their designer's choice option where their designers will send you recommendations for your piece so you can make the final choice yourself. They precisely measure your art and cut and assemble a frame to flatter it. And FrameBridge takes the mystery out of pricing. They follow a set menu ranging from 39 bucks to 159 bucks, based purely on the size of your art. FrameBridge prices are about 70% cheaper than traditional custom frame stores and 50% cheaper than big box framers. And yes, all shipping is free. Visit www.framebridge.com to start framing your art and photos. Use the code SAVAGE at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's framebridge.com and enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hi, 35-year-old straight male. I guess I have sort of a little more esoteric question. After a couple of long-term relationships that ended in really nasty, awful ways. And, you know, some other ones kind of in between. I'm just kind of gotten to be pretty jaded about the whole notion of relationships and just asking myself kind of what's the fucking point. I guess just sort of like sick of the heartache or even the threat of it or what sort of seems like the inevitability of it. Anyway, any of your thoughts would be great. Every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. The trick is you have to go into all subsequent relationships after that first or second or third one fails with a default kind of attitude or default setting that it's going to work out. Right? You don't go in with the default setting or attitude that this is never going to work. You go in thinking this might be the one that works out and I'm going to have a positive attitude and I'm going to be constructive rather than finding fault and ginning up you know, the reasons or the excuses for why this will never work out so I can walk away or make myself horrifying and unpleasant so the other person walks away and then I can swan around playing the victim. You just have to – be able to do what you do when you watch Game of Thrones or go to the movies or watch a play. You suspend your disbelief, right? You throw yourself into that fantasy world. You, you accept the premise of whatever's unfolding before you, right? And you have to do that with relationships too. You accept the premise that this time it's going to work out. This could be the one, not that there's a one, but this could be the relationship that is the one that works out long term. Right? With not the one, but the 0.64 that you're rounding the fuck up to one. And it's easier said than done. I realize there are people out there who've been burned multiple times. Uh, sometimes, you know, if every relationship you're in is a shit show, disaster, psychodrama, you may be the common denominator. You may be creating that for yourself, picking the wrong people, or you may be the icky person, right? You need to be self critical and get some therapy, ask your friends for their input. And if at the end of that process you just conclude with your rational hat on that it was just bad luck, dumb luck, you know, two, three, four relationships in a row that didn't work out for whatever reason and nobody was a monster or a villain, just you haven't met the person who could be the person you're with for the long haul yet, you go into that next relationship with a sunny, hopeful, upbeat disposition because this person could be 
that person. And you have to find that capacity in yourself to create those settings. I'm sounding so woo-woo in this answer, but to create those settings of sunny optimism, to will them. Because if you go in expecting the worst, that's probably what you're going to get. You will behave in a shitty way. You will draw shittiness out of that other person and it will be another shitty relationship. But if you go in expecting good and giving good, it might be good. might not be good, but it might be good. And if it is good, great. You win. And if it's not good, then you have to do it all over again with someone else. And it helps if you look back at the relationships you've been in that have failed, not as failed relationships, but as relationships that worked out for however long you were in them. You know, if there's a messy ending, if there's emotional abuse or physical abuse or just, you know, horrifying scorched earth mistreatment on both parts, it's hard to look at that kind of a relationship as having been a success. But if you're with somebody for a while and you, you know, have some great times and you share some great experiences, and even if it ended, you know, in an, uh, 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 you know, no ending is particularly delightful, right? But if it ended in, you know, with rockiness and some recrimination and grief, but that you can burn through and get past and tap back into what you liked about that person, how is that not a success, right? Even if you can't be in contact with that person anymore, even if you're not friends afterwards, if you can one day look back on that relationship and enjoy the memories and, 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 identify the the things that that brought into your life that were good and worthwhile and lasting, even if it wasn't that person who lasted with you. Not all of your past relationships that failed are failures. A lot of our relationships that end are successes, but we are brought up to regard every relationship that ends as a failure. And then we convince ourselves of that. We regard them as demerits, black marks, failures, and then we feel awful about them. We should separate our relationships into two piles. Yeah, the, fa- the, the, <laughs> the ones we really regret, the, the failures, the abuse, the drama, the scorched earth, both sides, whatever. Yeah, failure. But good times, more good times than non-good times, parted as amicably as two people could, wish them well, maybe even contact with them, not a failure. That relationship is not going to the failure pile. So I would encourage you, caller, to look at your relationships, separate out the failures from the non-failures, and then do the work. Do the work that allows you to go into your next relationship. The self-critical work, the thoughtfulness that allows you to go into your next relationship with a sunny disposition, a sense of optimism, and the ability to suspend your disbelief and not to succumb to self-fulfilling prophecies. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium USA-made mattresses for a fraction of the cost. It's a comfortable mattress that has just the right sink and bounce, and I speak from personal sink and bounce experience. Here's a funny story. When you have advertisers like this on podcasts, one of the things that they typically do is they send you their product to give you a chance to try it out. I already had a mattress, so when Casper offered to send me and Terry a mattress – We had them send it to a friend whose house we stay at a lot, and we tried it out there. True story, we liked it so much that we bought one ourselves with our own dirty, filthy money and threw out our mattress, which really knew too much at that stage of its life, and got ourselves a Casper mattress. Honest engine, I'm not lying. I'm not just 
wiggling my tongue in the ass of an advertiser. That is how much we liked Casper Mattress. We did make the mistake, though, a mistake you should not make. When we went online to buy our own Casper Mattress, we forgot to enter the promo code SAVAGE, so we didn't get the discount. But you, you can get the discount. When you go to Casper.com slash Savage and enter the promo code SAVAGE, we paid full price. You don't have to make that mistake. You do not have to pay full price for your mattress. We paid full price for ours and we love it. I know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you hear podcasters enthuse about products all the time. I'm bad at enthusing. I'm really enthusing here because we really do love this mattress. You buy Casper mattresses online. It's easy. It's risk-free. And when you buy a mattress – As we bought ours, Casper ships it to you for free, and if you don't like it, you can return it within a 100-day period for a full refund, and you know what? You're not going to have to return it because you're going to love it. We love it. Get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king-size mattress. That's the kind we got, and you can save an additional $50 as a Lovecast listener, but not a Lovecast hoster because I forgot, but you can save $50 by going to casper.com slash savage and entering the promo code savage. That's all lowercase. Go to casper.com slash savage, enter promo code savage. Ophira Eisenberg (laughs) is a comedian, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, author of Screw Everyone, Sleeping My Way to Monogamy, and she is sitting here on the 23rd floor of the Washington Mutual building overlooking beautiful Puget Sound. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. In my uh, in my podcast studio with me. I can't believe it. I can't believe you would demean yourself like this. This is a dream. It's not demeaning. What are you doing this is in uplifting. Seattle? Uplifting. Uh, I was uh, doing a show, actually, with The Moth. Oh, cool. Yeah, storytelling. We, we love The Moth, the storytelling show. They have their own podcast. They're on NPR. And yep. So you're just a podcast slut. You're just running around the country doing everybody's well, podcast. Podcasts, now, you have been podcasting forever. But we know that podcasting is the new website. It's the new blog. It's like people are like, do you have a podcast? Why don't you have a podcast? What are you doing? It's crazy. Yeah. Andy Warhol was wrong. In the future, everyone will have a podcast for 15 minutes. And I figured out why it is, is because you can do something else while you listen to a podcast. So that means that people can be efficient. That's right. You do. You can walk around. You can plug in. You can go to the gym. You can. I have heard people say, I've asked people, what do you do while listening to Ask Me Another? And they've said, yeah, gym. But one person said, um, we have sex, and I was like, "What? Wh- why? Wow! <laughs> How could that? Yeah, if a quiz show with nerdy um, puzzles inspires your sex life, then... I only ever have sex to on the media. <laughs> yeah, that's right. NPR. That's right. Brooke Gladstone's voice. It just fucking does it for me. She's amazing. <laughs> okay, so here you are in Seattle. Yeah. So I thought because you're hilarious, and I love Ask Me Another. Um, and you're a podcaster too, because your podcaster. show is on NPR. But then there's the much more explicit, extended podcast version where most of my appearance on your show wound That's up. That's right. That is true. The, <laughs> we thought since the we were, extended. We thought since we were here, and you're fucking hysterical, and you wrote a book about relationships yep. and uh, arriving at monogamy. Arriving at monogamy by fucking everybody else. Still there. You just run, ran out of people to fuck. Is that it? Is that that's the point of your <laughs> book? I got right? old and tired. <laughs> we thought since you were in town, we would invite you in to take some questions. Fantastic, yeah. Because I, you, I, I, you can give sex advice. Well, I mean, I, when we had you on our show, I said, "What do you? T- what does it take to be someone who gives great relationship and sex advice?" And you said, "You basically have to be like nosy and confident and be the person that says I'm going to do this." Right. So, and somebody has to ask you the question. And someone has to ask you the question. People are always saying, what qualifies you to give advice? I'm like, people ask me. Right. You look up advice in the dictionary. Opinion about what could or should be done. 
Literally, the only qualification you need to give your opinion is some stupid fucker asked you for it. <laughs> people ask me. Well, what I because I wrote that book, which is a comedic memoir. But then when I did book readings, people would go, "All right, so do you think that I should sleep around with a whole bunch of people and that will get me to the one?" And I was like. This is not a how-to. <laughs> this is my story. But, you know, that because you just automatically – But everybody put... thinks everybody should do it the way they did it. Yeah. So you do think everybody should fuck everybody until they find the one. Although I don't think there is a one. There's yeah. a .64 that you round the fuck up to one. There is no one. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that you arrive at someone that you're like, yeah, all right. You've seen a lot. Those three this magic words, not I love you, <laughs> guess you'll do. Those are the three <laughs> magic words. You're here. I'm here. Let's do it. Hey, Dan. I'm calling just because uh, I want your opinion on something. I am uh, have been seeing somebody, this guy, for a few months, and we're both recently divorced, and it's been amazing. We haven't fought at all. It's been, like, magical the whole time. He <laughs> has his ex-wife's name tattooed on his face, and Today he has a tattoo appointment, and uh, he's said always a few times, I wonder what I'm getting. Like, I wonder what I'm going to get. And I just have been biting my tongue because I'm not the kind of person to tell him what to do. I'd rather him do it on his own volition than having me tell him to do anything. So I'm just having anxiety about it, and I'm worried that if I see him and he hasn't got it covered, that it's going to be our first fight. And I'm just wondering if I have any right to be upset about this. She's an absolutely insane person and is pretty much stalking him uh, right now. So it's just kind of an ugly reminder that would be nice if I didn't have to look at everything. His face? His face. <laughs> Ira Glass had this same problem, I'm sure. This comes up for NPR hosts all the time. So I'm just going to leave it to you. Uh, talk about someone that has a problem with Commitment and not committing at the same time. I mean, that's an amazing thing to get a commitment of someone's name on your face. I mean, it's a bad idea anywhere on your body, but particularly. It kind of says, like, I'm not going to uh, be able to work a lot of jobs. It says I have no judgment. I, I think that's the great sort of unspoken, unarticulated thing that's at work for most people when they're mating and dating and trying to pick a partner is people just intuitively on some level are looking for somebody with good judgment. Yes, and people don't articulate that. They say it in all sorts of different weird ways. When somebody like sh tells you something on a first date that they maybe should have told you on a 12th date or, or six months <laughs> in, it doesn't matter that if six months in you would have been okay with it. You're not okay with it on the first date because it shows bad judgment that they would tell you this thing, whatever it was. Right then. That, I mean they uh, – with the case of this guy, he didn't have to say anything on the first date. I mean your question would be like, hey, but do you want to tell me about the person on your face? Yeah, bad judgment. I got, I, I'm the sort of person who gets – yeah, you didn't have to say something stupid on the first date. His face said I'm the sort of person who gets crazy bitches' names tattooed on my face. Now, I, I, she didn't say anything about – and of course the woman is stalking him. I mean she – Maybe she wants her name back. There is some control issues going on there right now. I would love to know where she tattooed his name, uh, if at all. But maybe the name is something like uh, – I mean, depending on what her name is, perhaps it can be altered into a different word. I mean, I wouldn't go Pam Spam, you know, because that's a little weird. Like if but... it's Judy, he could put Bloom after it. And sure. then it's an homage to a beloved young adult fiction author. That's right. Or uh... – <laughs> 
<laughs> and then people would be like, what a sensitive man who really cared about women while they were going through their adolescence. The, the, but that's not the issue. The issue isn't the face tattoo. This is the issue. She says, I'm not the type of person to tell someone what to do. But if he doesn't do this thing that I'm not going to tell him to do, I'm going to go ape shit. Yeah. That's the issue here. Not the face tattoo. The issue is she doesn't want to be the type of person to tell him what to do, but she wants him to be the type of person who intuitively, instinctively knows what to do and does it. And which that, is classic, right? Which is classic lady shit. Like to, not Very to gender it because men do it too. But when people talk about this, it's usually talked about it. Yep. Like, women want men to read their minds. Men can't read their your mind, right? And, and I doubt that the kind of guy who would get his wife's name tattooed on his face can read at all. But he can't read your mind. <laughs> well, he can read a birth certificate. So he needs to know going into this appointment that if it's that important to you that you have to stop looking at his ex-wife's name while he's fucking you, to, you need to say that. You need to say, I'm going to have a melt. Just like so you know, like I'm, I've been totally like okay with this. I, I'm trying to deal with it. It's a little weird and squicky. I'm really hoping that the tattoo appointment is about getting that covered up. Think, and then see what he says. But don't like sit at home hoping that when he walks in, it's covered up and then lose surprise. your mind. Uh, but also, doesn't it sort of point to where they are at in their relationship? Like maybe there is some sort of uneven idea of where things – she said magical in a few months. But is it at the point where you're getting a face tattoo covered up? I mean that is a that is a sort of new level. You would have to also <laughs> be very committed. That takes it from magical to tragical. <laughs> Tragical being the word of the day. So, you know, maybe if the guy comes back and it, so there's a couple levels because she could be like, why didn't you know that that's what I wanted to cover up? And he would go, oh my God, of course I'm going to get it covered up. I really like being with you. Or he could say, not there yet. That's why it's not getting covered up. I'm getting an additional tattoo. This is like an issue that comes up a lot, but it's usually like photographs of the ex that are on a wall or a refrigerator or wedding photos if it was a long-term relationship that are still out. And there comes a point where you can reasonably ask that person to put those things away. But I think that she has a right even this early in the relationship to ask him to put that away. Because because, it's so extreme. Because it's so – it's in her face and nobody, you know, nobody has sex with their new girlfriend holding the wedding photos over her face. (laughs) Which is what this amounts to in in a way. I don't know if I'd be able to overlook that myself. But she's clearly entering all kinds of stuff because there's the face tattoo. Then there's the ex-wife that she is aware of mm-hmm. and who this person is and has characterized her as a crazy bitch that is stalking him. But you know what? You don't want to be caller. You don't want to be the crazy the bitch he one. dated after the crazy bitch he divorced. And that's what you're setting yourself up to be. That's how you will be perceived if he comes home having gotten – a different sort of tattoo right? and not the one you wanted him to get and you explode in a rage. Right. If he got an X through it and her name, I think that also would be a larger red flag. That would be more bad judgment on display. Magical. So have a a convo with your partner. Tell him, tell him, (laughs) don't tell him he must get it covered up now. Tell him that if you guys stay together for the long term, because a couple months in is not long term yet. I agree. That at some point he needs to get that covered up because you shouldn't have to look at his ex-wife's name on your boyfriend, potentially husband's face for the rest of your life. If there could be a meeting uh, organized between the tattoo artist, the boyfriend, the ex-wife, a good therapist, and you, I would highly recommend that. A group setting. You, you would recommend? <laughs> you I would not, not recommend Put them that. all together. 
If I can tape it, I would recommend it because I think it would make a great show, but I, I might have to disagree with you here. Face tattoos coming on TLC. Hi. I am a scientist, PhD level, but young. And I have sort of a, a unique problem. I've been listening to your show for many years now through my PhD and through my fellowship. And I've never heard a question like this, and I sort of just need to ask it. So my question is, you know, if I'm sort of wired at this point for the laboratory, if, I'm, if I've been, you know, a researcher essentially for 10 years now, how do I sort of correct that in the context of relationships? So what I find is that very often if I'm dating, it's hard for me to take the lab coat off metaphorically. Like I will be on a date with someone I really care about and she will say something completely illogical and I will respond as a scientist, right? Like, cause that's sort of like the, the core idea in science is that the biggest fear is uh, propagating confusion. And so if somebody says something incredibly illogical over a beautiful candlelight dinner, you know, the, my lab coat mode sort of kicks in and I want to interrupt and say, Hey, like, you know, be careful what you're saying has all these, you know, A, B, C, and D logical flaws. And so you can probably guess that my dating life has, you know, not been <laughs> perhaps as successful as uh, I would have liked. Um, but uh, my science is has been very successful. <laughs> so what this guy needs is to reach into the internet and find that one woman out there who has a fetish for having her male companion point out logical flaws you know what like I love? made her super wet when her logical flaws were pointed out to her at a romantic candlelit dinner. They'd be perfect. What's for the each headline other. of that? Do you like being corrected? Who <laughs> wouldn't say yes to that? Do you enjoy a sort of detached conversation where I tell you about all your? I'm part Vulcan. Do you like Vulcans? <laughs> uh, I um, I think okay. There's let, a pos- let's role play this. We're on a date. Okay, yeah. You say something illogical. Illogical. I correct you. Yeah. I, I put on my lab coat and correct you and point out the flaws in your logic. And then you say. We're just having conversation. Why did you have to ruin our entire evening? Something like that. Oh, not, not check, please, because you're in such a hurry to get in my pants. You want to get me back to my apartment right fucking now. For example, if I said something, you know, something that is so common, right? Something like uh, this creme brulee. I literally had a dream about creme brulee. <laughs> Right? That is like the most common overuse of the word. But literally, you could have had a dream. I could have that a dream. could be true, literally true, that you had a dream about <laughs> creme brulee. Possible. Not, would, 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 I'm pointing out your logical flaw here. <laughs> it would be you to say this creme brulee is, is so delicious I'm going to die. Right. It's going to kill me. This is so fucking delicious. Like Then he would sit there and say – well, You're not, not going to die because creme brulee is just a matter of molecules that have been designed in a way that are biologically whatever, blah, <laughs> and blah, And deliciousness blah. <laughs> is never fatal. And by the way, I only speak like this because I'm a very successful scientist who got successful at a young age. I, and I just point that out because obviously this guy is achieved, but I am not exactly – I don't like the idea of someone justifying their lack of um, conversational rapport, Tact. their ability to socialize – Tactful, be a good companion because they are successful in a workplace that requires a certain kind of thinking. Maybe you're just kind of like not a great socializer and have to work on that. And I would like to, uh, you know, caller, it's too bad you didn't give us any examples of these logical fallacies. Like if I was at dinner with somebody and they started talking about their sign and astrology, I would think – 
probably not for me, this person, but I wouldn't say anything because I don't believe in that astrology crap. And somebody who's like very invested in astrology, I find I will infer from there that they're going to have lots of other character traits that will be dick shrivelers for me. And this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> but I wouldn't say anything because it would be awkward. It would derail the evening. Who knows? Maybe this is just the one thing. And if I get to know them a little better, this is their one little like irrational uh, spot in an otherwise logically sound mental environment and I can just like deal with this or, or, or live with it. But I would know not to fucking say anything right. at that moment. I would say, oh, really? And change the fucking subject. You have the option, Spock, of changing the fucking subject. <laughs> Instead, you know, but if they say – if they say Obama is a Muslim, if they say the moon is made of green cheese, if they say the earth is flat, if they say climate change is a – Conspiracy. Women deserve to be paid less. Whatever. Well, everything but that. <laughs> you get to like, okay, check, please, and, and let's get out of here. But if they just like have some little – like human beings are complicated and we tell ourselves stories and our stories aren't always completely consistent or logical at all times and we don't want to be deposed by a dinner companion. No, and let's also agree that this guy, does he have enough – uh, perspective on his own actions to know this is why things are failing. Clearly, that is not a great way to ha behave on a date. I wouldn't like that either. No one likes that. No one that doesn't actually inspire any flow. But I'm not convinced, based on his own interpretation, that he knows exactly why things are falling apart. I mean, because a little playful disagreement can be sexy. It's fine. It could be fine. You can have a little argument at work or, or uh, argument over dinner, over drink, over a, a date. You know, sometimes people do like to spar. They just don't want people nodding and smiling at them the whole time. They want to have a conversation that can go to difference. But or like you said, he's like he's a beautiful mind and someone could be totally turned on. By but if you go into scold lecture mode, if you are the king of mansplaining, <laughs> which you described as lab code mode. Right. Right. Yeah, lab code mode. That is a pussy dehydrator and a dick shriveler. Yeah, the lab, the lab coat mode itself could be amazing. Someone could be totally into that. Yeah, but the the guy who comes in it is right now the problem. My advice for him would be to call some ex-girlfriends and ask them to be brutally, logically honest with you about how you came across to them when you went into lab coat mode. I would also go to friends, family members, uh, Facebook friends. <laughs> I think you can cast a wide net on this because I'm pretty sure everyone around this guy has said something. And they might just be like, no, 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 got nothing to do with that. You're a dick. And this may be a job for pot. <laughs> hey, you know what? That is the first thing I hit my head too. I was really? like, this guy maybe just needs to loosen up. Needs to like, get high may before a date. Needs to get high. Maybe like, you know, try a nice bottle of wine. I don't know. Something that just makes you fun, loving. Who cares? A little looser. Take the edge off. Keep the lab coat on. I think that's actually kind I mean, of what fun. What people are looking for in a partner is somebody who can love them for their faults. And even if you're sometimes going to correct someone for their faults, you're going to do it in a way that makes them feel better for having had the conversation, feel like they're supporting you and building you up. So even if somebody like says something that's crazy, you don't have to address it in the moment, but there has to be a way to address it that you're not capable of doing right now if everybody that you have any sort of disagreement with runs screaming. Right. Oh, my God, that sex was incredible. It was the best I've ever had in my life. Well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You can't know that to be true. <laughs> Your lifespan is short enough that we don't know. We stopped taping for a second and one of the shy tech savvy at risk youth who does not <laughs> wish to come on the program ever because her homeschooling parents don't know where she is or who she works for <laughs> pointed out that 
he had the option perhaps of dating other women in STEM professions, science, technology, whatever and whatever, and he's opting not to. It sounds like he's maybe intentionally going out and finding women who aren't as smart as he is or as scientific as he is so that he can scold and correct and feel superior to them. Right. This could go deeper than just you've drawn the short straw and gone on a bunch of dates with a bunch of dopes and could be instead you are choosing to go on dates with dopes so that you can pull the lab coat on and be an asshole. And never have to feel like they will ever meet you on any level, which I think is uh, also something very, very common. Some some guys, some women are just like, I don't want to be challenged. That would be hurtful. But then they can't understand why it doesn't work out. It's like, yeah, because these people don't respect. Like you don't have any respect for them and then they feel that and they have no respect for you. Yeah. Henry Higgins only gets the girl in the musical. That's right. Henry Higgins doesn't get the girl in real life. And if you don't get that reference, you need to go watch My Fair Lady. <laughs> and you will get that reference. I would love to see, though, two of these Labco's logical thinkers, if this is who they really are, at a beautiful, like, well-dressed, just beautifully groomed, sitting at a romantic candlelit dinner and just sparring back and forth. Well, I thought when you used the word all of my life, you were meaning up until now. Well, I think when you used the word, yeah, literally just back and forth. I thought you literally meant olive, (laughs) like the one in my martini. You need to enunciate better. If you wish to date me. Can we get the check? Technically, it is not a check. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Ophira Eisenberg, thank you so much for joining us Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. For listeners of my stupid podcast who haven't heard your stupid podcast (laughs) yet would you like to tell them about your stupid podcast sure uh the podcast that i am part of it's a public radio show also available as a podcast and it's a trivia comedy quiz show called ask me another uh we also have great vip guests who we i interview and then we play fun games with like the one and only dan savage i was on the show i love the show it's hilarious i have it on my podcast downloads and i listen to it on it's the a good radio time and i feel like uh, we gave you some good questions about people's relate that npr public radio friendly relationship <laughs> questions <laughs> which let me tell you yeah they, i've been yeah. doing public radio long enough that i have a public radio sort of parallel universe version of myself that i can inhabit when oh I yeah no to. true professional that came came across immediately we're all just like wow this guy knows exactly what he's doing <laughs> uh yeah and made everyone in the uh, crowd be like maybe i do have a chance <laughs> you do. It, everyone in the crowd has a chance. The show's great. Ask me another. NPR. At Ask me another at iTunes. How do they find it? Yeah, if you, if you just it? go to iTunes and look for Ask Me Another. Also, Stitcher, tune in, like everything, or you can go to the NPR website slash Ask Me Another. Thank you so much for sitting in with us today. It was a blast. Thank you. Amazing. Ophira and I were having so much fun that she stuck around, took another call, and that's in the Magnum. Hey, Dan. I just listened to episode 449, and I wanted to comment on the woman you can't have male friends. I have the same problem, and over the years, I've asked friends, and even some of the guys themselves, why this keeps happening. In short, the problem seems to be that I treat my guy friends exactly the same way I treat my female friends. Because I'm gay, I don't stress about censoring my body language, and guys aren't used to women acting so forward and unguarded. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. And if men can't take no, or in my case, lesbian, for an answer, I think they really should just go fuck off. Hey, Dan, I'm calling about your advice to the guy whose inexperienced 20-year-old girlfriend just lies there during sex. Uh, you said to get a copy of uh, Debbie Urbanik's book and then, and then talk to her after she's read it. 
And I don't know if just handing her a book and giving her some homework is really the best way to draw her out. I think that uh, maybe having gentle conversations where he broached the subject artfully uh, might be better than, hey, read this book because you've got some problems, girl. Hey, this is a response to uh, the guy with the dead fish girlfriend. Gotta say, uh, I have uh, I have experienced quite an interesting thing since my uh, 22 year marriage. Uh, I'm back out in the field, and uh, a little bit of talking, uh, a lot of touch, and uh, a basic rule that uh, there is no penetration until she's had an orgasm just changes everything. Uh, I am not exceptionally endowed. There's nothing really special about me, but women that I've been with in the last four years have consistently called me the greatest lover they ever had, mostly because, almost exclusively because I talk and I draw them out. And the thing that they comment the most on is that I make sounds. I let them know. I give them feedback. When I let them know and give them feedback, they let me know and give me feedback. And everything changes. I've seen women just completely come out of out of shelves, and it is absolutely spectacular. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Call for submissions for Hump porn festival go to humptour.com and click on submit for information about getting your film your short amateur porn film into hump and on next year's hump tour follow me on twitter at fake dan savage follow ophira eisenberg on twitter at o-p-h-i-r-a-e savage Lovecast is produced every week by nancy hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and nancy we will all be back at you next week with another installment of the savage Lovecast. 